New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Our guest today, Andrew Forstoffel, created for himself a coming-of-age ritual. After graduating from college, he took a year to walk 4,000 miles across America. Along the way, he experienced the kindness of strangers, and he listened to hundreds of stories. He says, I keep getting all these glimpses into what my life could become someday. Each person offered something a little different the young and the old alike. Each family reflected a possibility I'd never seen before. I was privy to snapshots of the human experience in these brief moments, seeing what these people had learned and become by walking the walk of their lives. Some were at the beginning, some were nearing the end. All of them were their own unique wellspring of valuable information. Andrew goes on to say, when I left home, I'd hoped that the story gathering and the advice harvesting would become a reliable way of navigating my own existence. But I hadn't seen the potential pitfalls, the ways in which the listening could become a crutch, a way of avoiding the responsibility of experiencing it for myself. Join us as we reflect together the wanderings of a pilgrim and the wisdom he found in his travels with our guest, Andrew Forstoffel. Andrew Forstoffel is a writer, radio producer, and public speaker based in Northampton, Massachusetts. After graduating from Middlebury College in 2011 with a degree in environmental studies, he spent 11 months walking across the United States gathering stories along the way. He first recounted part of that journey in a radio story featured on This American Life. He facilitates workshops on walking and listening as practices in personal transformation, interconnection, and conflict resolution. He's the author of Walking to Listen, 4,000 Miles Across America, One Story at a Time. Join us for the next hour as we explore the quixotic journey of our guest, Andrew Forstifel. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Andrew, welcome. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to have you here. And I just, um, what an, what an adventure. Uh, I'd love for you to share with us the beginning of that adventure. You're just out of college. Mm. Most people then start thinking about going to work right away. Mm. 
You had a different idea. So what gave you this idea to to take a long walk? Mm. Well, I, I think like most, uh, graduated from college with more questions than I went into college with. Um, and they had a kind of urgency in me that um, called me to them in a way that I didn't want to ignore, you know? And so the, the thought of diving into a career that I might even enjoy without spending at least some time immersed in these questions, the question of who am I really? And who are we? And what does it mean to transform into the adult that's going to carry me through the rest of my life? Uh, what does it mean to um, be a human, how to navigate that experience? So I, I, I had these questions and wanted um, a sort of boots on the ground, blood, sweat, and tears uh, encounter with these questions. And I wanted to see how other people had done it. And so, and so initially, actually, I was planning on going abroad um, and wanted to study coming of age in indigenous communities and see how um, humans who were growing up in a, in a totally different context than the one I had were raised into adulthood, and, and maybe that would answer some questions for me. I, th I think that you had met Maladoma Somme I, I from Burkina Faso, and, yeah. and you actually thought that you would end up there yeah. in that east part of Africa in, a, in maybe a village. Yeah, I, he was, I was able to connect with him. He's a very gracious man and offered to um, yeah help me out. And uh, so initially I was planning on going to, to live and study uh, in his community. Um, and then... Uh, long story short, I didn't end up having the finances uh, or sort of support that I, I ended up needing. And so I started to think, well, how could I do this with the limited, you know, um, with a limited budget and uh, without this, the support of like a fellowship or an organization? And, and how do I do it quick? You know, I don't want to be thinking about this for months or years. And what if I just walked out the back door? <laughs> that was sort of how it came. And yeah. you, you, I was interested in, in like that first encounter. Mm. You did walk out the back door. Mm. You followed the railroad tracks. And <laughs> talk about that first encounter, which was not so very far from, from your home, but, yeah. but in some ways very far from your home, yeah. being a, a white, Caucasian, mm -hmm. um, middle-class male, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. here you are. Now you've got a backpack, mm -hmm. what, 50 pounds mm -hmm. on your back, and you're walking down the railroad tracks. Yeah. Help, help us to yeah. see that picture. Well, even before that encounter, there, there was the, there was a run-in um, about a mile away from home on those, on those train tracks. Um, a car pulled over on the side of the road, and this man got out, and he sort of came through the, the trees to the tracks, and it was Bob my mom's landlord. And I thought it was just this incredible coincidence. I said, my God, Bob, what a, what a coincidence to see you here. And he said, uh, it's not a coincidence. Your mom's a wreck back at the house. <laughs> you <laughs> don't have to do this. You know? I'll bet being a mom myself. I I'll... can't. Yeah. I mean, God bless my mom. She's, you know, for the 11 months that I was out walking, she was on a, a pretty magnificent 
and extreme journey of her own, a journey of surrender and letting go. And um, yeah, she'd be a good one to interview here. Mm, um, yeah, I'd love to interview her. Yeah. Yeah, it would be wonderful. Therese Jornlin, honor my mom. But Bob gave me a knife and he said, don't trust anybody. And, uh, and so I had that knife in my pocket when seven miles later or so I was coming on the outskirts of the, t of Kenneth square near where my mom lives. And I saw these men up ahead on the tracks and finally I come upon them and they're these four Latino guys, um, probably homeless. When you first saw these, these men next to the railroad tracks, did they look threatening? Um, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't sure who they were or what they were capable of. And not knowing who they were, my mind was making all kinds of assumptions about them. So, sure. And they sort of Did look at me. Did you feel any apprehensive? apprehensive? Yeah, absolutely. At this, time, at this point, I was far away enough from home that uh, I could feel the fear, you know, because I, I was, no one was, in, was within earshot you know, so they wouldn't hear me screaming if I was attacked. And I was wearing this 50 pound backpack, so I couldn't run away. You know, <laughs> I was vulnerable, basically, I was very vulnerable, I was putting myself out there, and I didn't know what was going to happen. And so, yeah, fear, fear comes up often in those situations. And throughout the course of the year, I, it wasn't that like my fear in those situations disappeared, but I think I just began to learn it. You know, I began to understand, understand it a little more. And the understanding of it, I found, made it so that it had a little less power. You know, if I, oh, right, here's, here's fear. Okay, just because you're big and scary fear doesn't mean I'm going to listen to everything you have to say. I, you know, and having experienced what's possible when fear wasn't driving my bus, um, it made me that much more inclined to to try something a little different, something like saying hello. <laughs> you, know, you know. Oh, all right. So, uh, and and that encounter turned out so yeah, just what, fine. What huh? happened is yeah, I come upon these guys and they see this, they see me and they say, hey, what are you doing? Like you said, I'm wearing this big backpack, an American flag, an Earth flag, a walking sign that says "Walking to Listen," and. Um, I told them what I was doing. I said, I'm walking across America, which to me sounded hilarious and <laughs> ridiculous because I'd only been walking for like two hours, you know, but they didn't know that. Um, and they ended up giving me apple juice boxes and cookies and invited me to sit with them. And then when it started raining, they invited me into their home, which was uh, in this forest, um, a little clearing in the woods where they had a bunch of shacks set up right behind a strip mall I'd been to a bunch of times before for lunch. And it was just me getting my world blown open. You know, it was getting a glimpse into how just big the world is, how big my neighborhood is. And I never even knew it. You know, I, I never knew there was this whole other universe behind, behind the strip mall. Um, and it wasn't until I set out with the intention to listen that I got to see the basically the truth you're something a little closer to the the full truth of um of my home my neighborhood my country my people um and i wouldn't have been allowed that glimpse had i not 
you know, in some ways humbled myself by saying, listen, I, I actually don't know the full truth and I need y'all's help to, to teach me. Or as you said, or to make yourself vulnerable. Yeah. And, and so here you experienced your first encounter, so to speak, mm. was an experience of extraordinary generosity mm. and friendliness. Yeah. Did that surprise you? What It did. It did, and and it continued, and and it continued to surprise me and all across the U.S. Event, yeah. I mean, I and so, but but you know, by the time I got to Virginia, and it it had it kept happening with people in that way. I was I was sort of wonder. I just thought I had hit some lucky streak, and I was wondering when the other shoe was going to drop. You know, um, and by the time I got to Georgia, and it was still <laughs> happening. And then Alabama, eventually I began to realize that the way people were responding to me had a lot to do with the way I was seeing them. You know, I was, I was seeing them as worthy of my time. I was seeing them as worthy of my respect and even reverence, you know, seeing them as teachers, as, I mean, these supposedly ordinary folk. And I was looking for that extraordinary kernel that we all have, you know, just being here, we all have these experiences and these songs inside us that want to be sung and that can't be sung sometimes without a listener there to ask for exactly. it. Exactly. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Andrew Forstoffel, and he's the author of Walking to Listen, 4,000 Miles Across America, One Story at a Time. And if you'd like to know more about his work, you can go to his website, Living to listen.com or you can get there through the New Dimensions website newdimensions.org I'm Justine Willis-Toms you're listening to New Dimensions I'm here with Andrew Forstoffel, and he's the author of Walking to Listen, 4,000 Miles Across America, One Story at a Time. Andrew, I'd like to ask you about approaching people. Mm. You know, you, you, had, you started off with some, some questions mm. that you would ask. And, and so help us to know, uh, how, how do we open a conversation mm. with strangers? Mm. I was thinking about this a little bit the other day. Someone, someone asked, you know, for those of us who don't have the courage to approach strangers and, and start a connection or, or, or at least seek to initiate a connection, how, you know, what advice might you have? And, um, 
what came out was the moment an earnest question is asked, the fear begins to disappear. Um, so finding somewhere inside myself an earnest question, a sincere question, which how do you know it's sincere earnest? You know, often it's a question that maybe I'm a little scared to ask or might be a little embarrassed to ask. You know, if there's a, a, something of a charge around it, it may be an earnest question, you know, some, a question that I, that's hot for me, you know? So, and at, at having, I mean, and it does take courage to ask a question like that because, I mean, it, it, it takes someone, it gives someone a glimpse into the heart of what you really care about or are confused about or, you know, and so that's, that's the moment. That's the sort of, I'm reaching out here. And I, I tried to approach people in that way, you know, and again, um, I think it's rare that we approach one another in that way, not even strangers necessarily, but, you know, people in our own lives and communities, you know, it, it, to, to get asked that kind of a question is such an honor. Um, and I was making it my mission to ask people questions in that way, as if they might have the answer, you know? Um, so, hey, tell me about transformation. You know, what is, what is transformation to you? Or, you know, um, when, when did you feel that you uh, really became yourself? You know, a question that we might normally reserve for a guru or a, you know, spiritual teacher or, or a professor or a philosopher, like asking each other those questions, <laughs> asking a stranger a question like that. It just becomes... Um, something else becomes possible, you know, something, um, I think those, that's, that, those are the seeds of connection right there. Questions like that. And, and having the, um, the willingness to ask them, the courage to ask them, the humility to ask them. Um, that was my, that was my strategy. That reminds me, uh, I know that not everyone that you came across it had the same philosophy of life as you do. And some of them yeah. maybe were had racial prejudice mm. or, or had other experiences mm. and, and they experienced um, life with, uh, walk through life with, with some hate yes. even uh, and certainly prejudice and that would come up. So yeah. how would you handle that? I mean, here you're with people that mm. are being generous, but then on the other hand, the paradox of that generosity mm -hmm. is also their own protectiveness of mm -hmm. their their little group, and there's another group out there, and they're not so okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you get what I'm saying. Of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, that, how do you handle that? Yeah. Well, um, differently each time. You know, I, I think a big part of this experience for me was was learning how to navigate those kinds of situations. Um, and the, the sort of, I mean, it, the whole year was humbling in, in lots of different ways. And, and one of the humbling things I found are just the um, frustrating, exasperating things that I found within myself was my initial inability to engage someone else's hatred. You know, someone would say something racist, for example, and I would find myself just shutting down. Um, not knowing what to say, saying nothing, and then feeling ashamed of that, and then this domino effect of um, disappointment. And what eventually I learned was to, again, just ask questions. You know, so 
instead of like making a judgment on there and saying, well, you shouldn't say that or right. do something like that, which our normal reaction right. would be trying to convince them right. to be other than they are. Yeah. And so you you learned or you somebody had helped you to to ask questions or yeah. you, you develop that strategy. Right. My friend Rhea, yeah, gave uh, gave me that advice. You know, just try asking them why. Why do you believe that? And what's it like to believe that? What does it feel like to to think that? And you know, yeah, exactly. Trying to stay in the in the role of listener. You know, um, even if I find what you're saying to be abhorrent, or if I find what you've done to be deeply disturbing. You know, continuing to relate to that part of you inside that is human, that has a heart, that that has the capacity not just for greed, hatred, and delusion, but for compassion too, um, and generosity and and kindness, um, and it's it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. It reminds me of one of the stories or one of the encounters that you had, and I believe that this was in Brightwood, Virginia, mm. and you entered a, a general store, and it was a Friday night, mm. and uh, it was just a wonderful mm. little vignette. Can you share that with us? Yeah, yeah. I, I walked into this town, Brightwood, little town in Virginia, at the end of a day, and didn't know where I was going to be sleeping that night, and I was feeling the fear come up again. Um, where am I going to be? You know, if I have to trespass, what are they going to do to me? <laughs> and, um, and when you say trespass, that means like setting up your tent yeah. kind of on somebody's land yeah, and just, you don't really have permission. Exactly right. Stealth camping. Um, and so feeling the fear. And then I, I see up ahead this general store, big old farmhouse looking place. And it said, uh, there's a big sign outside that said, music every Friday night. And it was Friday night and I had a mandolin with me. And I was just like, oh my God, this could be perfect. And I went in and um, once they got to know me a little bit, the owner of the place, Dave Peak, um, let me stay in the room above his general store. And we spent the night playing music and a group from the local Agape house uh, came in and they were, um, they were all men and many of them were schizophrenic and just suffering basically. But each one of them, or maybe not each, but, but many of them got up there and sang their song, you know, without concern for how we might be receiving it or how we might be judging them or how they weren't, they weren't concerned. They were just unabashed. They were singing their song, you know, and I just took it they were my teachers that night, you know, to see someone. Um, Some of them were singing off key or exactly. didn't know the words and whatever. Yeah, off yeah. key, timing wasn't quite right. Didn't sound good, really. <laughs> <laughs> but, but what was better than good, what was beautiful, was their, um, their willingness to, to sing on anyways. You know, and, and I think about that outside of the context of music, too. It's like... Just this thing of, you know, each one of us has a song like that in, inside ourselves, whether it's a story we've lived or uh, a piece of wisdom we may have harvested along the way or, I mean, really countless songs. And yet so many of us are afraid to, to share them or shy or worried about what people might think if we actually open our mouths and start singing. 
And because most of, or I don't know, many of us aren't, aren't able to just sing regardless, sing unconcerned and unabashed like those men in the general store, I've become interested in um, the work of, of becoming a trustworthy listener. Because often those songs will only come out if there's a trustworthy listener there to ask for it. So in other words, th this moment mm -hmm. is like a high teaching moment. Yeah. Like we, we go to workshops, we go to gurus mm. or teachers or whomever, spiritual wisdom keepers. And uh, here you are in a general store with mm. uh, these men from this agape church mm. and, and they're singing their song, and that is a huge teaching moment. Yeah. Uh, so it's like noticing, and that's what I love about your walk and, mm. and what you convey to us is all of these moments of noticing and mm. really seeing with new eyes mm. our ability to be awake mm. to it. And I know that you, you had two companions, well, three, but you mm. mentioned most often two special mm. companions you yeah. had with you along the way. Yes. And I know our listeners will really uh, love to hear this. Uh, one was um, Rilke, mm. the poet Rilke, and the other was the poet Walt Whitman. Mm -hmm. And uh, these often helped you. Can you just say something about the help that these companions gave to you along the way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's just amazing to have such, a, such an alive relationship with a dead person, you know. <laughs> um, these, these poets um, had the audacity to document their experience in words. You know, they had the, um, the courage to sing their song. You know, we're speaking in that language. And thank God they did because Decades later, even centuries later, um, you know, I stumble into existence and benefit from their, their learnings and their, their teachings um, and the, just their questions too, you know, their confusion. Um, so yeah, they were, they were, I had, I had leaves of grass and letters to a young poet and I, you know, in the nights that I had alone out on the road um, would sometimes read them and just take solace in the communion um, that's possible even in solitude, you know. So you had, um, you know, there's something I think that you mentioned at some point, maybe mentioned it more than once. There, there's something about, you learn something about the privilege mm. of solitude mm. and being away from all the noise that we are subjected to yeah. in this life. And, and you really, I think you describe it as a privilege. Mm, mm. And even though it can be lonely, do you have any comments on that? Yeah. For me, solitude became um, the ground from which all of the connections I was having with people arose. You know, so without the solitude, I wouldn't have been able to connect with people in the way that I did. You know, solitude was where I got to meet myself. And of course, I was meeting myself in the exchange also, you know, with people and meeting parts of myself that I simply wouldn't have met without those exchanges. But it was, it, it was in the alone time that I got to, um, yeah, meet the loneliness. It's almost as if I, I think, Andrew, it, it's like you have this time to 
integrate, mm. to digest, mm. what, you know, in these walks between towns yeah. and these walks between general stores and these yeah. walks between these conversations. Mm. You have time to digest and really integrate something. Mm. And you've written about this very beautifully. Mm. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Andrew Forstaffel. He's the author of Walking to Listen, 4,000 Miles Across America, One Story at a Time. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, livingtolisten.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Andrew Forstafel, and he is the author of Walking to Listen, 4,000 Miles Across America, One Story at a Time. Andrew, uh, there are so many stories that we could talk about. Uh, one for sure is in Alabama, you met a couple, Herb and Marion Furman, mm. and um, they, they started something called Home Place. And just that their was, home. It, it was their just family. their home. Yeah. And so it, it, describe that and why that was so special. Yeah. Um, well, it's it's an old farmhouse, um, and it's been in their family since maybe 1912 or something like that. And generations of of their their people have lived there, and they've been born there, and they've died there, and... Um, you know, little objects are sort of scattered across the house that have been well-worn and well-loved and used. And I grew up um, in a couple different apartments in Chicago, sort of always moving around, and then out to suburbia in Erie, Pennsylvania, um, and then suburbia in Philadelphia, right, right outside Philly. And I never lived in a place long enough to feel really connected to place. Um, home to me was, was my immediate family. And then when my family fell apart after my parents divorced, I didn't know what home was. Um, and so home was a question for me on this walk. And when I met Herb and Marion, when, when these grandparents took me in, um, it was one of the, I guess it was one of the first times I realized that home really could be uh, a place. You know, I saw it. I, I even felt it after just a night of being there. Um, and and it made me realize how important place is, you know, to, to be of a place. And, and not just for the support that it would offer, but for the support I would then offer a place. You know, because the land needs us just as much as we need it to be stewards of the land. Um, and that that is just not something I grew up with. That reminds me of later on as you entered uh, Arizona, mm. you know, Nevada, um, mm. New Mexico, and you met mm. uh, James and Chris, mm. and uh, these are Navajo men. Mm -hmm. And James 
took you on a, a truck ride around mm-hmm. a little tour around his land yeah. and yeah and he really Talk conveyed about, he talked yeah. about belonging to a place yeah. can you describe that yeah yeah i mean he i remember vividly uh, he pointed out one little canyon and said uh yeah, that's where my uh, great, 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 great grandmother's mother lived, or something like that, and it it blew it it blew me away. Um, I mean, it reminded me uh, first and foremost, right, that that my ancestors weren't of this place, and they came and took this place, you know, and and just sort of brought me back into the 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 wounds that we are all coming from, regardless of color in this country, um, this history of thievery and uh, oppression. Um, and yet the, the redemption that's possible. I mean, here we were, you know, me, this white boy, and these two Navajo men uh, in 21st century America um, coexisting and telling each other stories, listening, um, connecting. It was, it was possible in that moment. Um, some kind of, you know, I've, I've, I wonder about truth and reconciliation in this country. What does that look like? You know, we never committed ourselves to a process of truth and reconciliation um, after, you know, Europeans came over and took this land from the indigenous population or after slavery. Um, and so what would it look like to have a truth and reconciliation process? And what I'm realizing is it's, it's probably not going to be um, some formal process. It's not going to be, it's not really going to work top down. You know, it's not going to be some government mandated thing that we all have to do. What I'm, what I'm seeing now is that it's going to, if it's going to come at all, it's going to come from the bottom up. And what that means is uh, each one of us has to be willing to listen. (laughs) Each one of us has to apprentice ourselves to this practice of listening, become trustworthy listeners such that, uh, the hurt can come out. The hurt can be expressed without us shutting down, without, I mean, specifically, I guess, white people shutting down and getting defensive. And No, let's, let's become such that we can listen to the pain that exists in indigenous populations, people of color, you know, people who are coming from this history of oppression. Um, and, that reminds me that you, you were in Selma, Alabama yeah. when, uh, for Dr. Martin Luther King Day. Yes. And so there, there again, this is also informing this yes. feeling in, and this experience and this wisdom yeah. in you of what, what yeah. m- can take place, yeah. the possibility yeah. of, of healing. Yeah. Yeah. There was, there was, I got to meet the, um, the former mayor of Selma while I was there. And uh, he took me out to dinner. He was the first African-American to hold that office. And at one point he said um, something to the effect of, it's one thing to know what you know about your history, but it's another thing entirely to feel what you feel about your history. You know, in, in, our, in, in history class, we, we learn all this information, but we never get asked, yeah, so how does that make you feel? And that's important because these things do affect us. Whether And, and so many of us are so divorced. We're stuck up in our minds learning all this stuff, but how does that make your heart feel, your body, to know that you came from that? Um, and he, what he said was, until uh, we are able to feel what we feel uh, and, and witness each other in how we feel about our history, we will stay on this sort of hamster wheel of, 
um, violence and retribution, mm -hmm. basically. And I got to meet uh, Brian Stevenson, this incredible man, author of Just Mercy uh, in Montgomery. And he shared a similar thing. He said, it's your job to be a witness to all the racism that you're witnessing, that you're seeing and listening to. It's, it's your job to just really know the truth of, of what's out there. And a couple of days after I left Montgomery, I was, I was on this highway heading to Selma and I uh, finished one day at this rundown gas station and um, got permission to camp out out back. And attached to the gas station was this barbershop. And there were probably about a dozen black men in there. And it was one of these moments of like, what would happen if I went in there, you know? And, and my curiosity got the better of my fear and I walked in and the whole place just went silent, you know? <laughs> this white boy walks I into a barber shop so. in Alabama, you know? And uh, I asked if I could camp out. That was just sort of my icebreaker. You know, hey, I'm doing this walking thing, listening to people's stories. Like, could I, could I camp out up back? And the barber said, sure. And I, I ended up spending the night just visiting with these guys. And a part of me was hoping for some kind of, you know, ultimate conversation about um, the history that we were all coming from, you know, and the, I wanted the healing and expression. How do you feel about this stuff? But I realized that actually just being in the same room with them and listening to whatever it was that they wanted to share, just superficial, deep, whatever, without judgment, was maybe a step in the right direction a step in the direction of truth and reconciliation. I love that. I love that because there's something so natural. It's not forced. It's not forced. It's natural. It can't be forced. It's, it's unfolding. It's authentic. Yeah. And just knowing that if we have a deep internal intention, yeah. that that is conveyed on some, in some way without the words, yeah. without... The action. I mean, yeah. the, the others will follow, but yeah. it's like laying the groundwork yes. of I, uh, of trust and being mm. worthy to be in the company of. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's what I mean by becoming a trustworthy listener. Exactly. Like you can't force someone to share their pain with you. That's called manipulation. That's called. I mean, that's just tyrannical. You know. So. My job is to become just trustworthy, expectationless, agendaless, judge, non-judgmental, and become, become a safe environment so that of your own volition, you would choose to offer me something. You would gift me or honor me with something. I'm not going to steal it from you. So that's, that's, that's this work. That's this practice of, of becoming a trustworthy listener. Well, I, I, it just feels to me like here, at least in the United States, and we're doing this conversation in 2017, yeah. the early spring of 2017, and uh, that this is a way forward yes. to all the divisiveness uh, yeah. and polarization that's going on in our country right now. I, I, I feel that this... This could be a key. Mm. There was a time, uh, one, there's so many stories, but one that I want to make sure that, that we get to, because it just, I don't know why I burst into tears when I read mm. it. And uh, it just really moved me. And, and you're in West Texas, I believe, mm -hmm. and you've been walking. And now it's, it's a longer space between towns, mm. and it's hot. Uh, you, you've 
jettison your backpack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I love it. You have this very special uh, stroller that you named Bob. It's a baby stroller, and it's so you're walking down the road with a baby <laughs> stroller. I just love the image of that. And um, so you meet a man, Mel Jack. Uh, can you describe meeting him and yeah. what this was like? Yeah. So so um, I was walking along this highway, and this big, huge semi-truck sort of veered toward me, and I sort of got out of the way and didn't think twice after that. And then a couple seconds later, I hear this voice shout behind me, excuse me, sir sir. And the truck had pulled over and the driver had gotten out and he was walking toward me with two big Gatorade bottles. And I went to meet him and he asked what I was doing. He said, you've been walk, you've been walking my trucking route and I've seen you a couple times now and I'm just, you know, what are you doing? And I told him I was walking across America, listening to people's stories. And he got so excited and he said, do you like popcorn? I was like, uh, I get, yeah. And he's like, do you want some? And so we went to his truck <laughs> He got me some popcorn out of the cab. He had a big, uh, almost human-sized teddy bear strapped into the passenger seat. And um, he said, well, you're going to be on my route for a few more days. And every time I see you, you can count on a cold drink. And so he stopped at a few gas stations um, before I got to them over the course of the next couple of days and said, hey, we got this young man coming. When he comes, get him whatever he wants. It's on me. And the last time I saw him, he pulled over again. And he said, he, he gave me um, a bunch of supplies, you know, Gatorade and beef jerky and stuff. And then he gave me this thing he called a Bubba cooler, which looked like kind of like a pony keg, but it was just a cooler for water. And he said, um, you know, I'm not going to not gonna be able to be here to support you anymore. And I know that you've got the hottest leg of your journey coming up. And I want you to have a cold drink whenever you need it. So I, I, I went to Walmart and bought this for you. Ah. Uh. Andrew, I just was so moved by this is just one of the little vignettes yeah. of of the many, many stories mm. that you ran across uh, in mm. in your travels. And I, I just loved hearing that particular mm. one and, and so many others. So I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Andrew Forstifel, and he is the author of Walking to Listen, 4,000 Miles Across America, One Story at a Time. And his website is livingtolisten.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Andrew Forstafel, and he is the author of Walking to Listen. And Andrew, um, as we were talking about Mel Jack and mm. that Bubba cooler of mm. Gatorade and uh, the the heat and um, his generosity, you know, as as I read that part, mm. I and he gave you that cooler and said, "I won't see you probably again." You know, you were walking past his route now; you were mm-hmm. getting beyond his range, and um, I burst into tears. Mm. And then I read that you too, <laughs> what? Burst into tears on the side of the He drove away. And I'm just sort of in shock, having been the recipient of such astonishing, almost ridiculous generosity. This man taking time out of his busy life to, and then buying me this cooler and then tracking me down again and giving me this. It's like what did I do to deserve this? And and I'm just in shock and lashing this cooler to my stroller and burst into tears, you know, to be deemed worthy, worthy of support, worthy of someone else's time. You know, a complete stranger who, who didn't, who didn't know me, but didn't need to know me to support me. And again, I mean, my, my, my thing on this now is I'm not special. You know, I don't, I don't deserve that kind of support more than anyone else does. We all, we all need that. Surely we must, you know, and, and what would the world look like if each one of us was at some point or another, the, the guest of honor at a feast thrown for them by strangers. And you experienced that. Which I got that. to experience. Yeah, a couple of times. Several and, times. And uh, once in the Navajo, Navajo Nation. Navajo Nation. Navajo, I mean, that's another, I, I can <laughs> tell you that story. It's just, there's, there are so many. I mean, this this one, you know, I'm, I'm in Navajo Nation. I come into this gas station and they had gotten the word out on the Navajo radio station that this young man's walking through. And if you see him, you know, stop and say, hey. And this Navajo grandma uh, saw me there and... Um, her granddaughter translated and said, hey, are you the guy she heard on the radio? I said, I think I might be. And she said, grandma wants to cook for you. And so I said, okay, amazing. They lived 40 miles away, you know, two days walk or so. And so we decided, all right, so y'all live way off the highway, but there's this intersection there and they were going to come out and meet me on the highway so that I didn't have to walk to them. And she was going to bring me food. You know, so okay, that's incredible. And that I, was so accommodating. I mean, they were again like, going out of their way completely to to show up for this young person who was setting out with a question, and they didn't know him, but they loved him anyways. You know, that kind of a thing. And so two days go by, and I'm I'm coming up on that intersection. I'm late. I'm running late at this point, and I'm thinking, well, maybe they were there and then left, or maybe they forgot about me. I don't know. If, I don't know what to expect. And I'm coming down this big valley, and I see in the expanse far away this little white thing. I'm like, what is that? I'm seeing something flashing and getting closer and closer, and I realize there's a party tent that they had set up. I'm thinking, is this, is this it? Like, and then and that there were like a dozen cars there. And I finally arrived and realized that, that all these people, all her neighbors and family and stuff had come off the highway and had spent the whole morning and afternoon cooking for me and preparing this feast for me. I mean, my God, you know, and I, I got there and introduced myself and again, was, was just totally and completely humbled 
by receiving such radical, ridiculous kindness. And what it did to me as a young person um, was it made me want to give it back. You know, receiving that kind of validation, affirmation, and support as a young person has a way of tearing that young person out of natural uh, adolescent narcissism, you know, and throwing them into the intention to give back and support others and engage themselves in the work of loving and generosity. And that just reminds me, Andrew, that some people, I I don't remember who, but but maybe several of them, uh, they said that they would pray for you, yeah. and it reminded you too, and reminded you that that your steps. I think this came from the Native Americans that your steps could be a prayer that mm. that you that that would transform mm. the walk mm. from something bigger than yourself. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And th- and there were there were days where I did intentionally dedicate at the beginning of the day that day's walk to someone in particular. Um, and it did. It, it it bound my experience to something greater than myself, you know. And then when I was able to tell people about that, hey, I just walked 22 miles for you, you know, people were touched by that. Yeah. And yeah. I could also say to people, you know, just the strangers that I met al- in the, uh, along the way, I could say to them honestly, I am walking for you. I am walking to listen to you. I didn't know it when I set out, but here we are. I meet you now, I, I know you exist, and we're here together in the same space, and I'm walking to listen, and in this moment, I'm walking to listen to you. Wow, yeah. There, there are two other things that uh, we, I don't know if we'll have enough time, but, but one of the parts of your walk that I want you to say something about, because this was the hardest, mm. physically, mm. the hardest part. You're now in August, you're... you're You've, I think, just turned 24 years old, mm-hmm. maybe, mm-hmm. and it's August, hot part of the mm. the year, mm. and you're facing Death Valley. Yeah. I, yeah. Mm. It's 127 degrees. Mm. Mm. Uh, so if you could just give us some sort of description. I, I know when mm. the part when you, you're, you're, you're walking at night at this point because of the heat, and you get lost. Yeah. And I think, whoa, yeah. it's hard to read that. Yes. Yeah. It was hard to walk in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's intense. Yeah. I mean, out out in the Mojave Desert, um, it was hot. It was August, as you say. And, and this one particular moment, I was in Nevada um, and had sort of mapped out. Or I, didn't, I had a flip phone. So I had a phone, um, service wasn't great, and I did not have Wi-Fi, you know? Um, and so I had mapped out the route a, a, a few days before, and uh, I, I spent the day camped out under this bridge trying to sleep, but couldn't sleep because it was so hot. So by the time night rolled around, I was delirious with sleeplessness and tired, and I had to walk 30 miles that day or whatever. And there was this little shortcut that I thought I saw on the map, and... Um, I get on the main highway and I'm walking and finally I see the exit for this this little detour and it's pitch dark in the real life desert. You know, I'm like from <laughs> the suburbia Philly, you know, and I'm just like, whoa, this ain't Kansas anymore, you know, and totally alone, silent. 
And the road turns to sort of this pockmarked kind of a thing. And then it turns into a dirt road. And then it turns into a trail. And I'm on foot, you know. And so the farther I go, the less I want to turn back. Because that's just adding miles to my journey that night. But maybe I should go back. Because is this even a road? Is this a trail? And and it was just that, you know, what's the right choice to make here? Right. And I'm so tired. And um, and then the road, and then the path split. Fork in the road. Which way do I go? Okay, I go right. And then it split again. Okay, I'm, I'll go right again. And I'm just getting deeper and deeper into um, a potentially lethal situation. And um, finally decided to turn around. You know, and, but it was just coming... Close, maybe not face to face, but coming close, close. to my mortality. And right. and if right. I just made a single wrong decision here, I really could die. Right. And it was coming. I mean, the whole year I was walking just inches away from death. Right. And really, all of us are all the time. You never know what's going to happen. But I was on the highway with these cars running by, and so you know, death became something I couldn't really ignore anymore. Um, and that night in the desert, it was certainly close. We don't have time to read the excerpt that you've done in your book, but I've I've copied it out for mm. friends and I've read mm. it. Uh, your your whole soliloquy, I would say, on death, mm. and because that it just is beautiful, and I highly recommend it to everyone. Mm. And now I, we just have a few minutes left, and. You do make it to Half Moon Bay in uh, Northern California. That's just a few miles south of San Francisco, mm. and it's right there on the ocean. You, you, and you're greeted by mm. some of the people you've met mm. on the walk, including your family. Mm. So if you could really give us a little bit of a description there. Well, I, I had sent the word out to people uh, on my little travel blog that I'd be finishing at this beach at this time on this day. And, um, and I showed up and James and Chris Paisano, who I met out in Navajo Nation, had driven all the way out and they said they wanted to do a ceremony to help me finish. And so Chris and his brother Michael, who lives in Oakland, um, met me at the beach and they started sprinkling cornmeal as a path to lead me to everyone who was waiting. And drumming and singing and there was this big circle of people waiting for me there and I was seen again I was uh heard and and uh given this gift of validation you know by my village and some of these people I'd never met before but here they were and James the this Navajo grandfather this Navajo elder met me at the water and he said when you walked through our country our our nation I called you the boy who walks. And now you've got a new name. It's Hastin Nihat Nagahi, man who walks for us. And that's who walked into the water. And that's who each of us can become. Man who walks for us, woman who walks for us. What would it be like to live your life such that it might be of service to somebody? That's the work of a listener. Andrew, thank you so much for sharing all of this exquisite life experience Mm. Thank you. I've been speaking with Andrew Forstifel, and he's the author of Walking to Listen, 4,000 Miles Across America, One Story at a Time. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website. It's livingtolisten.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening 
to new dimensions. This is program number 3610. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. This program was recorded at Strawberry Hill Productions, a full-service podcast production studio in Novato, California. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions, as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions, whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.